1: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Fay. With me,
2: as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, what's up? Not much, mate. It's heading into Thanksgiving season in your hemisphere and just enjoying life down here in the Southern Hemisphere as well. Yeah, happy
1: to be on a pod with you. You know, a lot of solo pods just because of the back and forth and the time difference and all that. And Nets are on a little break. We figured we'd jump into a topic episode. Before we do that, quick reminder, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. But Jack, what do you want to jump into?
2: Nick, I want to ask you, what has been the Nets' biggest problems to start this season with? 12 or so games in now, what do you think? I've got probably too many statistical indicators, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think if you just look at it from the perspective
1: of the Nets have had a lack of consistency in terms of players available. You know, that's been an issue for them from start. You know, Clacks missed a couple games. You know, then Cam Thomas is injured. Ben's out. Lonnie Walker's been banged up. Dennis Smith Jr.'s now out. So I think trying to find consistency in terms of roles and play style has been something that sticks out in a way because obviously having Ben Simmons in the way he pushes the ball has an impact on the game also his offensive limitations have an impact on the style of offense you play and then obviously cam thomas who is having you know a career start to his season him not being available after being such a dependent part of the offense such an offensive engine for this team in terms of the scoring department him not being there and seeing guys adjust it's really hard to probably make a big Big picture take on this Nets team because we don't necessarily have a good sample size of all those players. So I feel like there's almost two versions of the team. This team we saw play with Ben and no Clax, and now this version of the Nets we see playing with Clax and also no Cam Thomas. So I think it's hard to make really general assumptions about the group without having a real sample size on everyone
2: together. Yeah, but that's what I'm going to do because I've got <laughs> some stats for you, Nate. No, but in in saying that, you know, these are problems that have stuck out statistically in terms of on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. So starting with defensive, I I revealed some of these in a little solo pod uh, earlier last week, but I'll reveal them again and and update them with the, you know, the current statistical indicators. The Nets are last in opponent turnover rate, last in Seals per game, bottom five in deflections, and have dropped to 23rd in defensive rating. Nick, defensively, this is a team that should not be this poor.
1: No, they shouldn't. They should definitely be better. I mean, defensively, in terms of talent, they have some really good players and they have some guys that can be impactful. I think, again, this is a little bit of the two styles we're seeing with the Nets. Obviously, this group should be playing better defense with Nick Claxton back, but the, the pro- prior group without Claxton, you could see some of the defensive limitations not having a rim protector out there. And I think that's, you know, for some of the early stuff, but this later stuff, I think that the team just needs to play with more energy, be a little bit more aggressive the interesting thing is, is Jacques Vaughn made a comment about a week or two ago before they played the Orlando Magic saying, you know, we need to force more, more turnovers, be more aggressive, get deflections. That game, they had their season high in steals, season high in fast break points. And then after that, we never saw a version of the team look like that over the course of the next couple of games.
2: Yeah. And he also spoke to me today, speaking about the fact that they've changed things schematically to allow the opportunities for the Nets to be more aggressive, but I haven't totally seen that. I think that you know, in different maybe glimpses here and there in the net, sort of like hedging and trying to get into passing lanes, which is why the deflections number is pretty poor. But uh, you know, that because of the fact that they switch a lot and they're doing you know a bit more drop now, those are by nature somewhat conservative schemes. If you're giving up sort of like very easy switches, and I think some of it, a lot of it is on the players as well not being engaged and aggressive enough, and just sort of allowing things to happen. When you've got a team that's full of wingspan for days and days and days, then it should be forcing way more turnovers. And it relates to the offensive end when we get to some of the positive and negatives there too. They've spoken about ever since the preseason being an offensive team predicated on their defense. Well, their offense is better than their defense, at least statistically speaking. And these one these numbers are, are pretty stark. Like when you are the worst team in the league at turnover rate, like the worst, like the Nets just can't force turnovers. But you have Mikael Bridges, Dwayne Finney-Smith, and you have Nick, Nick Claxton. Claxton. Now, Nick, yeah. Nick, like that's three really high quality, all NBA defense level players. That just shouldn't happen. Like even if a team that has canceled, and Ben Simmons, when he was playing, was was playing pretty good defense too. And Royce O'Neal's capable enough. Spencer and when has been really poor. I think Mikael has stepped back too because of the offensive burden for him. But yeah, the Nets have been really bad defensively. And those numbers are really highlighted. And I think things do need to change because that's how they're going to get better offensively too. If they yeah, I think force more... You go,
1: mate. I was just going to say, I think the deflections is huge. They should have more deflections with this team. I think they've also been in a position where they can make more plays, and it seems like we see it from spurts of a game, but not necessarily over the course of a game. And I think you know, they haven't necessarily been like aggressive with a lot of double teams, but I think some of that's also they feel confident in a lot of their guys in one-on-one situations. But I think they just need to turn it up and try to – disrupt a little bit more i think that's been an issue i've always wanted with you know the nets when they have this type of defensive talent it's like you want to disrupt things you want the other team to be uncomfortable you don't want guys to get to their spots and at times we see that happen a little bit too much where it's like force the worst player on the floor to beat you or put a guy in a position to hit a tough shot and if he hits it he hits it
2: yeah i think this team doesn't have natural physicality in terms of like outside probably like daron sharp who in like brings the sort of and DFS to an extent, but even then DFS like hasn't been lighting the world on fire when it comes to, to steals per game and, and no. getting on the department there and deflection. So I think the net just need to be like, those guys need to be more aggressive. They need to be given the opportunities to be more aggressive so that it's not just like lazy, easy switches. And I think Nick Claxton's return should hopefully help that as well. But yeah, I think the aggression needs to pick up in that department. And if they, you know, give away a couple of fouls here and there, so be it. Make your presence felt out there. It just seems to me it's a bit lackadaisical and, you know, apathetic and just passive at times.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, like you said, it's just kind of probably taking a couple more risks here and there and then also having confidence that, you know, someone will have your back. And maybe that gets back to some of the earlier parts of the season, not having Nick Claxton and not having that help behind you and not being able to take that risk. I think now it's like you have Clax back there. You have to have confidence in your rotations. You do that. Now that's what allows you to be a really good team. And I think there's never really a question like, can Vaughn get these guys to play hard. You know, we've seen them play really hard throughout the beginning of the season. It's just kind of making sure they're all on the same page and connecting. You know, I have great confidence that a team like this with a defensive talent and the type of guys they have that if they do, you know, play a little aggressive, get beat by their man, have to rotate that they can rotate if they can get on that same page and have that real identity on the end of the floor.
2: Yeah, Nick Clarkson's literally one of the best rim protectors in the NBA and one of the best, like, help guys as well. I just think that... Just you know, literally you think...
1: one of the best defenders. I mean, top three defender yeah. in
2: the NBA. Yeah, he is truly incredible. And, you know, uh, funneling this scheme through him and allowing guys to be a bit more aggressive on the perimeter should hopefully help that. You know, DFS and McHale. You know, I think we'll have a discussion about McHale maybe a little bit later if we have the time. But uh, any other defensive thoughts, Nick, before I throw out some lovely numbers uh, that are negative def- uh, offensively?
1: Uh, no, I just think defensively just got to step up. And I think they can do that in the number. Probably the next time we check in on this in probably like 10 games or so, I think they'll they'll have a minor jump.
2: Yeah, and I think it's also the nature of their opponents. They've had a pretty tough run to start yeah. the year. so And now the Nets got a little bit of an easier stretch. So hopefully that can juice the numbers a little bit here or there. But they they also need to juice the numbers here, Nick. They are 29th in free throw attempt, right? They're 24th in second chance points and 26th in points in the paint. Out of those numbers, now it's not awful because we'll get to some positive offensive numbers soon. What one do you think is the most changeable or should be changing? Or what one sticks out to you?
1: Yeah, I think 29th and free throw rate should change when Cam Thomas is back. You know, he's a guy that can generate free throws. He also can generate advantages and generates a form of gravity for the offense so that should kind of open things up a little bit allow guys to get downhill a little bit more and I think also Nick Claxton being back and him with the combination of Cam Thomas I think we'll see them develop a nice little chemistry and pick and roll this season you'll see Clax gets the free throw line a little bit more too and now that free throw rate goes from maybe 29 to 21 and it doesn't seem like much but that could be the difference in a game
2: yeah and I can't remember where points it was. Points in the paint I is hurt.
1: connected to exactly what I just said as well. So those two, I think, yeah. in my opinion, are pretty much correlated. Second chance points, to an extent, I could care less about because if you're going to be more conservative defensively and, you know, focus on getting back in transition defense rather than attack the boards, I think that's okay given the amount of rebounders on this team other than Daron Sharp and Nick Claxton sometimes, like they don't necessarily have great offensive rebounders.
2: Yeah, and funnily enough, we'll get to some positive off uh, defensive rebounding numbers later in the show. But I think what you're uh, what you've sort of pointed out there makes a lot of sense. But it's also I, I heard on I can't remember which podcast it was, but they said that out of guys that have played 300 plus minutes in the NBA, Royce O'Neal and DFS are two of the worst guys when it comes to free throw rate. Right? Those guys don't get to the free throw line at all. So having Cam Thomas out. Ben Simmons doesn't get to the free throw line at all anymore. That's just not who he is as an NBA player. Uh, and that's really disappointing to see. But as you alluded to, Clarks has more aggression. Mikhail hasn't been doing that as well as he did in, in seasons past. And even Spencer to an extent, I think Spencer is at his best when he's getting to the free throw line a little bit too. So they have the, they have enough capable guys at doing that. I think DFS and Spencer, you know, the, the, sorry, DFS and Royce are going to have to be right offs but Cam's returns to hopefully boost those numbers a little bit, but yeah, they're not the worst things in the world when it comes to poor offensive numbers because we'll get to some positive ones very soon.
1: Yeah, and I think even Ben, to an extent, when he pushes in transition, opens up fast break opportunities and there's a chance, you know, that's just an advantage already created of getting to the free throw line. So that's just something to to think about in that department as well. And like you said, with Royce O'Neill and Dorian Finney-Smith, they just don't have... You know, that type of like layup package or downhill speed to get to the rim. You know, they can kind of continue drives, but it's just kind of trying to hold on to an advantage rather than trying to score at the rim. And I think, you know, a younger athletic guy and maybe Cam Johnson, we could see yep. be a little bit more aggressive on some of those, you know, driving kick opportunities.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I was going to mention Cam Johnson too in terms of his purpose and mentality and aggressiveness that needs to improve, but we'll get to the positives, Nick, and we'll stick on the offensive end just because I think it, it leads in nicely. Despite the fact that they're not getting to the free throw line, they're, they're a good driving team when it comes to their efficiency and their, their attempts. So like that is solid when they do uh, actually drive the basketball and are you know aggressive in that department. Also third in fast break points fifth in made field goals when it comes to transition fourth and three-point percentage on seventh most attempts a really good volume too, and tenth in e field goal percentage like a top 10 team when it comes to an efficient shooting the right shots those are very 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 positive offensive numbers Nick.
1: yeah especially because they don't have that superstar player that's you know shooting at like an extremely crazy rate or something like that or you know just like that guy who's just gonna create a lot of easy shots for everyone on the team. So I think that's pretty impressive to their start as a team. And I think driving like we talked about with Royce and DFS, it's not necessarily getting all the way to the rim. It's kind of continuing the drive to continue the advantage on the offensive possession. And that allows you to kind of get open looks
2: and force the defense on the move. Yeah. And even like a trend in Watford who drives well and has that sort of little floater DSJ. Dennis with Jr. when he comes back from the back injury, which hopefully is sooner rather than later. Last season showed quite a bit for Charlotte, but he hasn't really done a lot of that for us. He's sort of driving and just taking and settling for, for mid-rangers a lot of the time. So I think that continuing that sort of purpose, you know, driving, kick, driving, kick, driving, kick. And it's working. Like the the offensive profile for this team, you know, as we currently stand is, is good. And this has been against, you know, pretty decent opponents as well. So the fact, I don't necessarily think, in fact, Nick, what do you think? Because a lot of people, we'll get to Ben Simmons maybe a little bit later. But in terms of like the fast break, the transition, three-point percentage, E field goal, driving, which one do you think could be the most sustainable out of those numbers? Oh, most
1: sustainable. It's tough because you kind of feel like the three-point shooting and the E field goal percentage is probably going to dip a little bit because it just seems really high for this group in terms of the offensive talent. But I think probably they're like their fast break points can stay up because it's just been such an emphasis on this group. And then also Ben Simmons coming back and pushing the pace. And we've just seen other guys kind of feel, you know, the need to push the ball forward. I think Trenton Watford, if he got, you know, even more minutes, you could see him be part of that as well. So I think fast break points being the top five seems pretty likely with this team, especially given, you know, what Vaughn wants, the amount of guys they play and the need for it offensively.
2: Yeah, and also I think if they like fine-tune the defensive numbers we were looking yep. to when it comes to steals and turnovers, there's a couple more fast-break points for you. That's as simple as that. And then... Maybe those turn into transition easy open threes for Royce or DFS, and yeah. those numbers remain sustainable. So look, I, maybe I should look a little bit deeper on the nature of those threes, the open threes, the contested threes, the catch and shoot threes. Um, you know, Mikael hasn't been shooting well there, but I think a lot of other guys are shooting out of their minds uh, DFS, uh, especially. But yeah, any other thought, thoughts on those offensive numbers, Nick? Before I get to a few positive defensive numbers.
1: No, I think it would be great if they were able to maintain them,
2: um, but we'll
1: see how it plays out over the course of the next month or so.
2: Yeah, you'd expect some of the numbers that we've been talking about, some to regress, some to progress, and maybe there's a, a yeah, middle Yeah, I think the offense
1: in... and the defense will kind of get closer. You know, right now we talked about it. The offense is better than expected. The defense is underperforming, so now they'll probably get closer to our preseason expectation.
2: We shall see how it pans out. Hopefully, it's it's progression on both ends. But the the final sort of positive defensive numbers I wanted to allude to, Nick, and the one that everyone's going to be surprised about, and no, this isn't a misprint. Maybe there's some a few games here or there that have changed this number since last night when I did my research. But the Nets are third in defensive rebounding percentage. That is right, ladies and gentlemen. They are a top three defensive rebounding team. Also seventh in opponent free throw rate, so they don't send guys to the line which is that don't foul guys, which is very positive too. Which is kind of connected
1: to them, not forcing turnovers because you're, you know, you're playing with your feet rather than your hands. And obviously to get a lot of steals, you need to swipe at the ball at times. So I think that's kind of a correlated stat right there.
2: Yeah. uh, That's a number that I don't, uh, the the third in defensive rebound percentage is the number that I'm pretty happy about, but also eighth in opponent three point percentage. I think that is a fluky number. And by nature, it can be a little bit fluky depending on the teams who you're going up against, but Nick, the defensive rebounding, it's something we've been speaking about for days and days and years and years, and podcast after podcast. They're a good defensive rebounding team. Who would have thunk it?
1: Yeah. I mean, without making major changes in the offseason either, it's not like they added an elite rebounder to the squad. So pretty imp- impressive stuff. You know, I think Ben gets some credit when he was healthy. Clax has rebounded well since he's been back. Garon Sharp's been great off the bench. But also I think like all the wings – have made an effort to grab like one or two more rebounds a game. And that just makes a huge difference where everyone's kind of having an impact on the boards. And that's a pretty big deal when you're trying to push the ball in transition because you need to get the ball first.
2: Yeah. Simple as that. But any final thoughts on the the positives, Nick, before we get into a few listener questions?
1: No, I think it also kind of probably connects a little bit to the switching scheme, exposing you in terms of rebounding, which we've talked about a lot in the past. If you're going to switch, you're going to get mismatches on that and that perspective of the game. So going back to a more, you know, as you mentioned, conservative style and drop coverage, you know, it kind of keeps a big on a big and puts you in a more of an advantage type situation.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: We'll see how it pans out again, as I've alluded to. But the first listener question I want to get to is Atnet Cypher. Cypher has... Actually, no, I'll get to uh, Joe Martin, at the chosen one. When, sorry, at Joe underscore Martin 13. When Cam T- Thomas returns, will he keep up his level of play and be an All-Star this season? Now, All-Star, it's going to be bloody competitive. And I think, is the All-Star now positionless? Or is that... No, that's All-NBA. But in saying that, he's playing like an All-Star, but with the likes of Tyrese Maxey, you know, I'm answering the question first, Nick, think I apologise. But in... I, I just think that Cam Thomas... Will be in that conversation. It's good to see already, like the fact that he doesn't have the boot on. We got positive progress and updates in terms of MRIs and, and the fact that there's, there aren't going to be any extra scans and such from Jacques Vaughn. Will he be an all star? He's an all star in my heart. And I think that's enough for me now.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be tough. You know, obviously, you have, as you mentioned, Tyrese Maxey. Jalen Brown, Dame Lloyd's going to get in just because of the name, even if he's not playing super well. Tyrese Halliburton, Donovan Mitchell. yeah, Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brunson. You know, a lot of these got Trey Young. Well, he, did, he didn't get in last year, so I think he'd probably have more of an effort to get in this year.
2: Uh, and he's been playing. He's been playing trash. So like, Cam Thomas has been playing better basketball than Trey Young. Like, I would have what, him above that, but what, I, I do agree. All stars about the votes. It's about the the name. The, the, the name, and and Cam Thomas might not have the name just yet, but. Maybe when he comes back and he puts out puts up another 40 piece and just absolutely throws buckets out there, maybe the name remember the name and maybe more people will become Cam Thomas obsessed.
1: Yeah, I mean, if he maintains the numbers that he has though, he will make it the all-star team. He's averaging 26.9 points per game, 47% from the field, only 32% from three, uh, about six free throws a game, just under four rebounds and about two assists. So, like if you average twenty-seven on forty-eight percent from the field and your team is probably anywhere from like the eight to the sixth seed. I think Cam Thomas will get in because he's just playing that well. And it might just be like the last spot on the bench or something. And they might have more guards than needed. But I think usually when your team's winning, you're in a playoff spot and a guy's playing at that high of a level, you're guaranteed kind of one spot. So it it could end up being like not Cam Thomas because, you know, it goes to like Mikel Bridges because of the name. But I still think if he maintains these numbers, which are really, really good, It'd be hard for him not to make it.
2: Yeah, yeah, like uh, I, whether he maintains them and like, look, he's, it's hard to I do. Like
1: it... averaging twenty-seven on almost fifty percent from the field is really, really hard to do. And if he does do that, I'll be impressed. And that's not to think that like I'm underselling Cam Thomas. It's just something that elite players in the NBA do.
2: Yeah and if the three ball comes around a little bit maybe yeah. the that makes it a, a little bit easier for him too but on Cam Thomas Nick we had atnet cypher saying asking us about the sort of future with Cam Thomas assuming Cam Thomas can maintain this level of scoring throughout the season what would be the perfect type of star level player to pair with him and Bridges I don't think Oliver Mitchell makes sense anymore given him and Cam are the same archetype I don't wholly agree with that I I think that you know you think about what's going out and what's coming in. If the Nets were to say for Spencer or or Ben or Spencer and DFS, Spencer and Royce and pick one, pick two, pick three, or whatever it might be. And you're getting Donovan Mitchell to replace that. Like that's just going to make your team better. Now, look, are we going to become Cavs 2.0 and sort of what's happening with Darius Garland and, and Donovan Mitchell maybe, but I think Donovan Mitchell has a little bit more athletic juice um, and that, that I think would be pretty positive, and I think these are incredible three point shooter. Um, whereas Cam, I still think, is showing some growth there. So, I'm not, uh, look, maybe the type of player does need to change, and maybe you go after someone who isn't in the guard department, you go after some form of wing. Look, obviously, that's what every team is, is sort of wanting, but I think you just go after high level talent, Nick. And if that's Donovan Mitchell so be it. I think it's going to be, as we've always say on this podcast, and it's a little bit blase on the fence sort of style. Depends on what you're giving up. If you're giving up and you're getting a good package in return or you're signing Donovan Mitchell in free agency, like you just get the guy and and just add, continue to add to the talent. So maybe Cameron Thomas's play does change the trajectory of the team building around the Nets, but I just think it just means you have another incredible guy that can create. And if you add a Donovan Mitchell, and, and like, that's two guys that can create for themselves and a little bit for others and can just really put uh, like defenses under severe pressure. And I also think Donovan Mitchell, I've always been higher than others on his defense, even though I think he hasn't shown it enough. And he's had some poor post-seasons, but yeah, maybe I'm a little bit too high on the Donovan Mitchell to the Nets experience. But I also think that he's just a real talent.
1: Yeah, I think you look at always adding really good players to your team. I think you try to, you know, look at fit and think, is that going to really, you know, hamper me down the road or is it something we can kind of work around? So I don't think Donovan Mitchell is the perfect guy, but I think you could, you know, say that that obviously is going to make the team better. I think, you know, the perfect type of player is Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic. You know, that's, you know, if you have Cam Thomas, you have Mikel Bridges, now you're putting your number one at the center position. He's kind of your offensive engine. And the other guys are playing off of that. And I think, you know, obviously Cam Thomas and Tyrese Maxey don't have the same games, but you can see how a young guard with scoring prowess can have a really successful season playing against Joel Embiid. And obviously Mikel talked about being off ball and how that would just allow him to kind of shine on both ends of the floor. So I think, you know, Joel would be the perfect add to, to this. And and again, he's also really good defensively.
2: Yeah. And maybe you can make the argument for Carlton to given what he's been showing too. You know, I think he started the season a little bit, you know, if he's here or there, but I think, I, would, yeah, it'd be a fun discussion. We don't, probably don't have the time to debate Donovan Mitchell versus Carlton Anthony Towns in, in adding to the Nets, but Carlton Anthony Towns has been bulling and that dude is a talented offensive player. He says a lot of different things uh, in you know, media scrums and he gets in a lot of the beefs here or there, but that dude is talented as hell as an offensive player. And he'd be, you know, he'd sort of be the, he's not the, to the level of a Joel Embiid, but he certainly... A very very high level, near star player, if not a star, in his own right. So yeah, there's plenty of names out there. I just think that you look to acquire the talent, and if the price is right, you you bite the bullet because I I just think that at the end of the day, adding talent to a team and look, Cam Thomas, I don't think is the offensive hub. He's not going to be the one He isn't Jokic, Doncic, and like Jason Tatum, whatever. But he can be an ancillary sort of second sort of guy. He can be jalen brown he can be and you know, he's already shown that he's better than mikhail bridges and we we're talking about mikhail Bridges being a genuine number two piece so i think if you're looking for that number one that it might not be out there so you might have to to settle for the 2a 2b uh, on the offensive and defensive end when it comes to the stars and a lot of people talk about the age timeline cam thomas is very young just add the talent and, and you figure it out and just become a better team and uh, that's that's my method of, of thinking
1: yeah it doesn't work your trade you know, simple. It, it doesn't work. You know, the guys are still have value, especially because they're still young. So you, you know, you make some moves and see what you can do. You know, you try it out. I think the, the most important thing is not giving it too long. You know, if something doesn't work, you
2: got to pull the plug as early as possible. Simple as that. Um, when it comes to pulling the trigger, Nick, we had a question in regards to Ben Simmons from Iceman the Don. Is there another player in the league that can be available or comes available that can do everything that Ben Simmons brings to this team? So we're looking for a guy that can pass. We're looking for a guy that can defend. We're looking for a guy that can push the pace, create three point shots for others, and miss half a season, if not more. <laughs> um, I think just availability, like you can get, look, I'm not going to just compare apples to apples or Aussie apples to Aussie apples, but look, Josh Giddy is a guy that probably does everything that Ben Simmons does, if not better, but is Except a, probably yes. defense. Yeah, he's not a great defender, but he's got good size in him. Like a six foot seven sort of guard. And that's me just probably trying to bring more Aussies to to land after the party Mills experience and not end so greatly. And neither is his Ben Simmons one either. But that's an end that sort of springs to mind. I don't know. And I think OKC aren't going to be long for Josh Giddy. I think he's a very, very good player. Would he fit alongside Cam Thomas and that sort of thing and the sort of age timeline? Maybe that's a guy, but I think he's going to own himself a, a significant payday with well, the Nets paying that uh outside of that there are not like you know a heap of guys that sort of spring to mind with sort of Ben Simmons skill set but the difference is like there's so many other guys that are just available and at the end of the day Ben Simmons just needs to get healthy you know we've gotten an update around him saying that you know there's a lot of wish wash waffle it's like no nothing's sort of happening so i i have no expectation for ben simmons anymore i didn't have any in the preseason then i had some after five or six games and i had some after the preseason uh, now I've just like, okay, cool, whatever. Ben Simmons is just another guy on the roster.
1: Yeah, I think I can think of skill sets skill sets that are similar, but not available. You know, and obviously the guys that I'm thinking of are substantially better than Ben Simmons. You know, that's an important skill set, but most of the guys that can do all the things listed also can score. So that's what puts them in another tier above Ben. And obviously, like you said, being available is a huge part of it too. And like also being consistent for a stretch of games, not just like you know, being healthy for 10 games. is like playing at a high level for 10 games. And I don't think we've really seen him play at a high level for 10 straight
2: games in a Nets uniform. There was like that six game stretch in November last year. That yep. was the one that sticks out to everyone. And, we've discussed. and even
1: then, like there was, some, there was like some high level play, but I wouldn't even say like every game was really good. Like it wasn't all-star level good. I think like that's where it's just like his, he's just very up and down. And we've talked about it. It's not only just game to game. It's sometimes quarter to quarter.
2: Yeah, he's not the player that we discussed in, in our Ben Simmons series. But, well, we get set. let's get to our final question, Nick. I don't want to end this on a negative note, but maybe we are because Emmeline uh, Nichols has asked, what are your thoughts on the inconsistency with Spencer this season? One game he's very impactful, can push the offense, is scoring and overall highly positive. The next he's negative and not impactful at all. I've had a discussion about this on a couple of solo pods of late, Nick. But what are your thoughts around, and we've discussed this a little bit together, Reiterate what are your thoughts, I guess, around Spencer Dimley right now and how he's producing for the Nets.
1: Yeah, I think um you saw, you know, a little bit of a change with the Ben news, and I think you saw him get a little bit more aggressive and take control of the offense. I think you'll see him probably play better when Cam Thomas is back because I think he needs another ball handler too. And obviously, there was some discussion early in the year: is like, is Spencer going to be traded he part of a package, and if. You know Ben's injured or out, or somebody they can't count on. I think that gives him a little bit more confidence in his role and his position on the team. So I think we'd pro- we're gonna probably see him progress forward in a positive way right now because of. There being a more understanding of his role and then Cam Thomas coming back, that should alleviate some of the pressures. Because, I mean, at this point, we really don't have a good timeline on Ben or even what his expected role is when he comes back. Because there was all that talk between Vaughn and Ben in the offseason about like earning that starting spot and not just being given. So I'll be intrigued to see if like when he comes back, if he's coming off the bench, what type of level he's playing at and what the expectations are.
2: Yeah, the speculation of what's going on with Spencer behind the scenes is something that we've discussed a little bit here or there, but it's nothing that we know or can report on. I wish we sort of had that inside sort of knowledge. So I can only speak to what Spencer is producing and he has been inconsistent. I think that's probably been the best way to describe him. He's sometimes inconsistent in his like mentality as well. He just looks like he's just more disengaged and less aggressive and, and less sort of locked in. And for me, like, spencer can do everything ben can do other than defense so like i'd, I'd rather have spencer at a high level than ben yeah, because i think spencer can create for others as well like he was throwing out dimes and dimes and dimes last season so and he got maybe a little bit too much criticism from maybe me and maybe from a few others but yeah spencer if he can get that consistency back then you know he's going to be doing everything he can to earn himself a future payday because that's probably something that's on his mind that we can sort of talk about he's yeah. had he went on Twitter, sort of saying, you know, people, you know, jumping in his DMs, threatening him and his son about parlays and all this sort of shit, which is just absolute stupidity and ignorance from of the highest order. Um, whoever is, you know, stupid enough and dim witted enough. Oops, uh, I didn't mean to say that. Um, <laughs> low life uh, enough to sort of do that sort of stuff. But yeah, I, I'm hoping just we get the consistent Spencer back because his highest level is incredibly good. Like, and we've seen that in a few performances this year. I just wanted to get that floor back to a more reasonable level, which is what we saw have seen at very consistent stretches. So, yeah, consistency is the key, as was alluded to by our listener.
1: Yeah, I think we mentioned earlier in the show, is like him getting downhill a little bit more and getting to the free throw line, getting just those opportunities. And it's going to be interesting, again, if Ben comes back, how that affects spacing and that affects his play. But if it, if he's not back and they're playing with Cam Thomas, then I think more things open up. And then you probably see Spencer's life get a lot easier offensively and probably more productive. Final thoughts, Nick? That's it. I think uh, it's been a pretty fun start to the season. You know, six and seven, not great, but I think we've seen some good basketball given the circumstances. So hopefully by the time it's 2024, the Nets are healthy and we have an idea of what they look like as a group together over the course of a couple games rather than just, you know, one game or two games.
2: Yeah, God, please, just let us be healthy for an extended period.
1: That's it. All right, Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks to everybody listening. Check the buzz on all streaming platforms.